starting a new series in the book of Mark, and uh, we're going to discuss what did Jesus do, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do. The hope here is that we will be a people that begins to do the things that were important to Jesus, that are um, just sort of DNA copies of Jesus, that we will do the things that he did. We will know them and we will do them. Christianity is not shared by a bunch of knowledge. It's shared by demonstration. So as God's people learn what Jesus did and they begin to do what Jesus do, life is change, will change for them. So I want you to get a picture of Jesus died approximately around 33 AD. Around 33 AD. And somewhere uh, in, the, uh, in the 50s, 50 AD, Nero came into power. And Nero, for about five years, was a decent person. I mean, if you know any history, you'll know that it didn't end up that way, but he, he was a kind and gentle, seemingly leader of uh, you know, sort of like the, the ruling party of Rome, and he did his stuff, but somewhere around 1950, or 1959, uh, <laughs> all right, uh, you know, history buffs, I might be a little off there. Somewhere around 59 AD, Nero... Uh, just sort of taken off of a cliff. And he started to just do erratic stuff. And I'm not, just because there's kids present, I'm not going to go completely in to the things he did. But if you want to know how bad he was, you should look up Nero and read what he did. But I'm going to share some, some difficult stuff in a minute. So he began to digress. And so right around 64 AD, he, um, there was this great fire in Rome. There's a picture of it up here, uh, a, a, not a resemblance in a sense of Rome, that took over and destroyed 80% of Rome. Let that sink in. Imagine Easton, as small as we are in comparison, with 80% of it destroyed by fire. Hurricane Katrina could not hold a light to that. Now, it was tragic. I'm not taking away from that. But when you look at what happened to Rome, 80% of it was destroyed. And what happened was, I can't believe I said that. Um, what had happened was, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to explain everything. Um, so, Nero blamed this fire on Christians. It is thought, it's not proven, but it is thought that Nero himself might have started the fire. But he began arresting, sending out his troops out into the city and arresting Christians. And it wasn't just arresting Christians. He would take and he would have the uh, skins of animals placed over Christians and they would have feral dogs let loose on the Christians that thought they were eating a wild beast and would chew up and kill Christians. Not only that, he would put tar and um, just sort of type of a lighting agent on people, on Christians, in his gardens and light them on fire to light his gardens at night. Let that sink in. 
if you think you have it bad now, if we are complaining about a government shutdown, and I'm just, uh, none of us are, that I know of are being torched in America on, you know, in a garden for the Congress somewhere. Or having the skins of animals placed on us to be eaten. But we focus, we focus on what we think Jesus would do. This next, this is going to be a, a long season through Mark, but we're going to experience what did Jesus do. So I want you to get the idea or the thought process in the midst of the burning and the arrest and the accusations, a group of Christians were in the catacombs with candles. And let's picture a pastor coming up to lead them, and they're singing quietly together, praising God, roughly 25-plus years after the crucifixion. Um, they're singing, and they're praising, and, and the leader comes in with this manuscript that Mark writ, wrote, and he begins to read the book of Mark. So this morning, right now, I just want you to just, just still your heart, still your head. We're not going to look on a screen. I'm just going to read the first 11 verses, and I want you to picture this is about the time frame that Christians in the catacombs were worshiping and giving praise to God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were coming out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. So imagine... All this is going on around you, and you're reminded that within you know, 30 years or so ago, Jesus came, born of a virgin, grew up in a small town, became baptized by John, lived a sinless life, was accused of everything, was persecuted and was not surprised by it, was not shocked by it, but he endured the death on the cross. But that's not where the story ended. So you got to get the, the picture. 
the disciples are there, the people are there in the catacombs worshiping because they had experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had experienced him coming, and they experienced him ascending, and they experienced the Holy Spirit descending. And so this is the context of the book of Mark. So what did Jesus do? So in Mark, there are going to be three acts. One act, the first act that we're going to discuss, it's roughly the first eight chapters, is the, uh, takes place in Galilee. And the question is, who is Jesus? Is the question is being answered and it's being asked. So, uh, part two is, act two is on the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And that question is, for the disciples, and it's a question you and I are going to have to ask and understand even, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? What does it mean for Jesus to be king? And Act 3 takes place in Jerusalem, and it says, and it's asking how Jesus becomes king. And those things are going to play into the hearts. If you're a Christian, these questions are going to have to resonate to where we're asking ourselves what did Jesus do, and therefore, what am I to do? How am I to respond? How am I to act? Not following the lead of the, the people on TV necessarily or some of the ministers that we might know or not know, but what did Jesus do? What is he saying for us to do, and how should we act? It is Mark's understanding, therefore, that the gospel is more than a set of truths or even a set of beliefs. It's not just truth. It's not just beliefs. Someone, some people get that in their head. They're so doctrinally straight, but they're empty spiritually. It's like, I've got my doctrine down. I've got it. I've got it. It's not just a set of beliefs. I love doctrine. Beliefs are good, but it is more than that. In Mark's idea, it is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God inaugurates the work of Jesus Christ here in the beginning of Mark. So let's briefly look at the author. Mark was also known as John Mark. He was a friend of Paul. In Colossians 4.10, it said, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greet you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning who you have re received instruction if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, one thing you should know, if you're not already aware, that Mark, John Mark and Paul had a disagreement in ministry. Have you ever had a disagreement with another Christian? No one here, right? Never happened, right? Amen. All right, so you, you're all giving me that look. Paul and Mark had that. They separated for a while and later reconciled and did ministry together. So he was a friend of Paul and also even more in-depth friendship he had with Peter. First uh, Peter 5.13 says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. What affection. You just sense that? Peter calls John Mark his son. Lastly, uh, we're going to look at um, in Acts 12, 22. It says, when he realizes he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, get it, John Mark, where there, many were gathered together and were praying. So Mary, or John Mark's mother had a house that church plants took place in. How cool is that? You know, so 
John Mark was in the story. He was one of Peter's, uh, I always make the term, I needed amanuensis. He was one of Peter's writers. He, he was sort of like a historian. He wrote stuff down. He was a scribe. And he, and he took and he interviewed people and he listened and he, tell, he sort of tells the tale. So in this, in the book of Mark, you're going to hear a lot of the life of Peter and Peter reciting the things that happened to him with Jesus Christ. So let's look at it. Mark 1. One, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Have we not heard this introduction before? The beginning, or otherwise, in the beginning. So what is the beginning? We're used to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was the beginning we understand. And also in John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There's another beginning. For Mark, for Mark, though, the beginning was when no less important than the creation of the world, for Mark, Jesus' start of ministry at baptism was the beginning of the gospel that he's preaching. That does not mean that the gospel started there. I'm just saying that as important as the creation in the beginning, as important as Jesus being the word who was with God and was God, it was just as important that Jesus came and humbled himself and began his ministry at baptism in the beginning. So Acts 1.22, it says, Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must come up with us, a witness to his resurrection. So the beginning of the baptism is even spoken of in Acts. So Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel in the Greek is evangelion. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Um, but it is where you get the term evangelist, evangelism. It's a term from political or personal reporting correspondence, meaning good news. So for us, uh, let's see, has there been any good news lately? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, if there's good news, the good news would have been someone runs and heralds, hey, this has happened. This is great. You know, hey, someone paid out, paid off your mortgage. Everyone goes amen, right? Uh, or you just paid your rent or paid your car thing. But the Greeks understood it as being an event such as a birth of an emperor or a major military victory. So when you see the movies where they come into Rome and they're in their chariots and the, you know, the generals are all sitting there all proud and mighty, they come in. Before then, a herald is sent bringing the good news of the victory. It's totally different situation. Some of us remember, some of us have a little gray in our hair, if we have any. We have gray in our hair that we remember when we didn't know things right away, where we didn't get alerts on our iPhones. It used to be that if a war was won or a battle was won over in Europe, it would take a horseback rider, maybe a wiring going on, or maybe even a boat ride across the Atlantic before we would know. It would be months at times before a mother or a father would know if their son died in battle. But right now, we have everything sort of at, we actually got drone footage of battles going on. It's a little bit terrifying, but in the context of history, the Greeks understood it as being good news that is being shared. So it's a great victory. 
Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Remember, that's Isaiah. Old Testament, been around, Dead Sea Scrolls, more of them have been found even recently. This is like ancient history for those in the catacombs that they are reading. Matter of fact, in Malachi chapter 3, 1, this is where some of this comes from. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi, roughly 430 B.C., hears from God that a messenger is coming. The Jews would understand it that the Messiah is coming, that there is great news coming out, that he is coming, and they waited. And some call it the quiet years. It's not mean that some used to say it was silent, but I would just say it was quiet. God was still working, but they didn't hear things going on. So roughly 400 years before Jesus came back, this was written. Verse 4, John appeared, John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. It's the newest fad, guys. Forget all the other diets we're doing. Let's do the locusts and wild honey. Let's roll with it. Let's do what John did. Now, everybody, I see some ladies going, no way you're going to get me to do that. And it says, verse 7, he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, in those times, everyone wore sandals, they weren't Crocs. They were just, uh, you know, leather and, and just tied together, and everyone wore them, and everyone had to journey and forage and go out along dirty paths. And so if you were sort of in the upscale group, you would actually not even untie your sandals because it was beneath you. You would have someone, one of the servants in your house, untie your sandals. So it was a lowly job to untie the sandals. John the Baptist, when he... He saw Jesus, he's like, I am not even worthy to untie the dirty sandals of Jesus because this is the Messiah. John recognized it. The people recognized it. So a little point of application. Has God been asking you to do something that's beneath you and you've let him know it? Excuse me, God. Don't you know? I live in America, land of the free, home of the brave. I am not going to subject myself to that because that is beneath me. What did Jesus do? He got on his knees and washed those dirty, funky feet. What are things in your life that you have been saying are beneath you? that don't wash with what you think it means to be a Christian. Verse 8, it said, I have baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know a little bit ahead, and I've got to sort of move on, but we, John baptized with water. Jesus said that when he died, that the Holy Spirit would come and that that would be greater than having Jesus even in your presence. It'd be the Spirit of God amongst all of us. And so John gave the a baptism of water in Jesus in his death as he died and he rose again. And, and as he went up, he gave us the baptism of the Spirit. He gave us a spirit to live with. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized. I'm going to give you some historical context with some application, and it's going to just sort of mingle. It might not go perfectly head, heart, hand, but I want you to understand context. So in the beginning of this message, I want you to understand Mark was unleashed in the midst of great persecution. Great persecution. And Christians were dying all over. And secondly, I want you to, right now, I want you to understand the context of where Jesus came from. So if we can go ahead and play that video. Nazareth has a long and distant past. And it was, at one point, probably a larger city. Being situated in what would have been the northern kingdom of Israel. It was likely destroyed by the Assyrians and its inhabitants carried into exile. In later eras, Nazareth was but a small village. But Nazareth's distant past isn't what makes it a prominent location in the Bible. Nazareth is where a young woman who was engaged to be married got unexpected and startling news. The Church of the Annunciation preserves the memorial of the place Gabriel came to Mary telling her that she would be overshadowed by the Spirit of God and would bear a son who was to be named Jesus. Remains of a first century dwelling are protected within the church itself. Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth, and although Jesus was born in Bethlehem, his early developmental years were spent in Nazareth, working with his father as a tecton or an artisan skilled in wood and stonework. It is likely they lived in Nazareth, but plied their trade several miles away in the bustling development of Sepphoris. Jesus would always be known in the region as Jesus of Nazareth. And although Nazareth was a small village at the time of Jesus, it became a prominent place of pilgrimage in the centuries that followed his ministry both because an angel announced his arrival to an unsuspecting maiden and because this was the place of his earthly life before moving to Capernaum to conduct his adult ministry. Today, Nazareth is one of the largest Arab populated cities in Israel, with a two to one ratio being Muslim versus Christian. Jesus' hometown was probably large in Canaanite and early Israeli times but became a small village that has now become a large city again and is considered holy to many who journey here to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So Jesus came from Nazareth, that small town, and spent his time, the first eight chapters, in the book of Mark, in the area of Galilee. Verse 10, 
And when he came up and out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So what do we see here? And there's just those two verses. Does anyone have a guess? What do we see that is a big doctrine of Christians? Huh? Baptism's one, yeah. What else? I heard it. The Trinity, yeah. The Trinity there, right? So you've God the Father, Jesus, and you've got the Holy Spirit. All there. You know, it would be somewhat of a strange story to tell if I were Mark, and I was like 25, 40 years away from Jesus' time, and I wanted to tell a legit story that made sense to people, I probably wouldn't write, hey, uh, Jesus got down, talked to the Father, said he was the Son, and the Spirit came, and all that goes jive together. So we see the Trinity in that, and we see baptism. So we're going to go to this last graphic. What did Jesus do? Make your mark like Jesus. So let me just real simply point of application. If you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, you have not done what Jesus said to do. And you are disobedient according to Scripture. It's not Erickson up here jiming at you just sort of saying this. It's saying that the Bible says that Jesus immediately, we're going to go over that word later in Mark. It's a neat Greek word uh, that, that's for that. But eustis, I think, is something like that. But we're going we're to go into it. It's that Jesus immediately did these things. If you have not been baptized, what did Jesus do? Did Jesus go, wait a second, I am God. I am the all in all, all hail, and I've got to do this. And, you know, I'm going to bypass baptism and everyone will understand it because it's okay. Is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus obeyed at every point. Jesus is the son, you know, maybe, you know, in a carnal way you wish you had. He never questioned the will of the Father. Of course, Jesus also had a perfect father, so both of y'all, everyone out there can understand that one. But Jesus immediately obeyed and did what God told him to do. So just real point, real quick point. Have you been baptized? If you, if you claim to be a Christian, I just want to say to you, we, we want to celebrate that. This church loves baptisms. We, wanna, we can do it out there in the hot tub, which isn't such a bad deal. Uh, or we can get down and dirty. I will do the polar plunge with somebody out there. If y'all want to go out in the middle of winter and get baptized, I am in. Don't look underneath my uh, outfit because there might be a short mini, uh, mini skirt. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, what had happened was <laughs> uh, um, there might be a, a, a wetsuit on underneath what I'm wearing, but. If you want to get baptized, we would love to do that. So I don't, I'm not sitting here to like, like throw a hammer down on anybody or make anyone feel guilty, but we're going to go through Mark and we're going to say, what did Jesus do? And we're going to say that, look, let's make a mark on our life. Let's be obedient. So if you have not been baptized, I just want to welcome you to just come up. Let Donna know in the office or let you know, Todd or Rob or myself know that, hey, I want to get baptized and we'll schedule it and uh, we'll make that happen. So um, just keep that in mind. So as you're reading...
this. I hope you will read through Mark. I hope that it will not be something you just come here on Sunday morning, but I hope that even this next week, we're not going to finish Mark 1 next week, just so you know. So you can stay in Mark 1 for a while, and you can sort of uh, let it sink in. And if you have questions, literally funnel them through Donna or I. If you have questions that you want answered in the upcoming text, or maybe you have a question from the previous week, send it in, and I'll get Rob to come up here and answer all your questions for you. Um, <laughs> You know, and we'll go, we'll go with it from there. So um, let's just all, uh, as the worship team comes up, let's just all stand as we come and get ready for communion. Some of you are aware of what the Seder feast is. And, and during the Seder, um, you have an empty place set for Elijah. And all the, the Jewish people who have the Seder meal, they, can't, they come and they go, what is that seat for? And they said, that's for Elijah. And you literally open your door and ask, is Elijah here? Because Elijah would usher in the kingdom of God. Mark is starting with a gospel with Elijah in the form of John the Baptist ushering in the kingdom of God. This morning, if you have entered that kingdom, if the gospel has had impact on your life and you're looking to do what Jesus did, and maybe you're struggling with that too, come up for prayer, but come more importantly to the communion table. This is what the early church did. We do it a little differently, but we can make it